we've had a bit of time. Do we have anybody who's willing to give us their example and reason why? Mitch, Mitch was first up the back. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. <laughs> Elise had Donald Trump down here as the exact opposite of a man of integrity. Why would it be a man of integrity and not the opposite, Mitch? He's just having a laugh. Maybe any, any other suggestions, any examples? Pat? Graham Brown, a man of integrity. Maybe. Any, anybody over here? Andrew? Maybe, yeah. Any, any other examples anybody can think of? Nikki? Yeah, emergency services, people who help other people are willing to put their own lives at risk, take out their own time to help others. I did a quick Google search. Well, not a quick one. It was a few. I had to type in a few words to find different people. But I came up with three people. The first one was Nelson Mandela. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he was the president of South Africa five years, uh, many years ago. Uh, he was known as a philanthropist whose government focused on tackling things like institutionalised racism and fostering racial reconciliation. Another image that came up was Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the USA, known for abolishing slavery. So, pretty good thing. Some would call that as a man of integrity, maybe. Uh, another one is Princess Diana. Uh, for her humanitarian work, I don't know, this is what Google thinks, performing lots of charity work and in regards to things like curing cancer and HIV AIDS. Well, if that's the world's idea of what a person of integrity is, what does God have to say? See, God desires that our actions and our lives are a reflection of the goodness shown to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So tonight in 1 Timothy, we're going to be looking at what that means, to live as a Christian with integrity. As we look at the passage, we'll see Paul giving instructions to Timothy on how he is to be an example of a Christian with integrity. We're broken up into three areas. Firstly, in the hope that he has. Secondly, in practice. And thirdly, in perseverance. And these instructions just aren't for Timothy himself, who at the time was preaching in Ephesus and uh, teaching the, the church there, but they are for all of us. So let's get started. Number one. We need to be secure in where our hope lies. We're going to be looking a little bit further back than our reading. We're looking at starting at verse 9. So if you've got your Bibles open there, looking at verse 9. It says, This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. For that is why we labour and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Saviour of all people, and especially of those who believe. Now, if we look back throughout the previous chapters of Paul's first letter to Timothy, we see that this is the third occurrence of that same, same words. In chapter 1, verse 15, he writes, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And again, in chapter 3, verse 1, Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So what's so important for Paul to say it again here? Well, he goes on to say why we should labour, why we should strive. It's because our hope lies in the living God. Our hope lies in the salvation we have in Christ Jesus through his death and resurrection. Jesus has paid the price for our sins once for all. Back in chapter 1 of, Timothy, uh, chapter one of 1 Timothy, Paul starts his letter off with these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Saviour in Christ Jesus, our hope. 
And Romans, uh, Paul puts it in his letter to the Romans, Paul puts it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We're called to boast, to proclaim the death and resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, the true and living God, as Paul puts it in Timothy. And as believers, we need to be undivided in our faith. We need to be sure and certain, knowing that Jesus has paid it all. He is our hope. <clears throat> and in verse 10 of 1 Timothy, Paul writes, this is hope for all people, especially for those who believe. Because of what Christ has done, anyone can now be reconciled to God. And those who believe should rejoice, knowing that God has made us whole. He's made us complete in his son Jesus. So number one, we are to live undivided. As our hope is secure in Christ Jesus through his salvation that he has brought through his death and his resurrection. Secondly, because that our hope is secure in Christ, we need to practice godly behaviours. Continuing in verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. Now, Paul here is talking directly to Timothy in regards to his age. He's quite a young man at this point in time in his life. But he's saying that age should not be a barrier for others respecting the authority given to him. And that they should be focusing more on his maturity and faith in Christ, judging him by what he preaches and teaches. The same goes for Timothy in the fact that he should act in a manner that reflects his maturity in Christ rather than his actual physical age. The message for us Christians is that we shouldn't be ignoring those young people amongst us in our church, thinking they're incapable of service. But rather we treat them as equals in Christ because we have the same hope that we trust in. And whether we are young or old, in verse 12, Paul gives Timothy five practical areas on how to show integrity through his godly behaviours. And if we are followers of Christ ourselves, we ought to do the same. Now, this is not saying that we are saved by any amount of works, but as Christians saved by God's grace through faith, we should act in a way that pleases and gives glory to our Heavenly Father. <clears throat> so firstly, it says to set an example in our speech. As Christians, we need to be careful on how and what we say when amongst fellow Christians and non-Christians. We should only be saying things that build each other up. We should avoid things like gossip and lies and any kind of malicious talk. I mean, can you imagine someone who's a Christian if you went lying around and swearing and putting people down all the time? People probably wouldn't want to hang out with you. They probably wouldn't trust you. And they most certainly wouldn't want to listen to you, which as Christians poses a great problem as we are called to proclaim the gospel of Christ. As Paul writes in his own letter to the Ephesians, <clears throat> don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only for what is helpful for building up others up in according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Secondly, in our conduct or our life. Have you ever had someone question why you do something or call you out for something that you, you're doing wrong or, or maybe you didn't do or did do? Just like in the workplace or at our schools and universities, as Christians, 
as the people of God, there is an expectation that we act in a certain way. And through God's word, we know that we are changed internally by his grace and mercy, but we often forget to reflect that outwardly. In high school, I had two friends, two very good friends. One was a Christian and one was a non-Christian. Now, if you looked at them purely from the way they acted, they both didn't swear, they both weren't mean to people, they both didn't put people down. In fact, they were really nice guys. You couldn't really tell them apart. Until it came to the first year out of high school when things started to go a bit downhill for one of them. Instead of sticking to what he was normally used to, you know, being a good guy, going to church and things like that, he started to slip away. He started to go into partying and drinking and girls and all this sort of stuff that just was so out of character. You see, people started to question, you know, is he really a Christian? Is he really living for God? I mean, he's saying he's going to church. He's saying he's doing these things. But in reality, if you looked at his Facebook pages, it was so different. If you talked to him, it sounded like he was covering something up all the time, trying to tell you, oh, yeah, I'm going to church, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But the distance meant I couldn't actually see what he was doing. And so many people kept asking me, you know, is, is he still a Christian? Does he still believe? And unfortunately, if you looked at their lives, the non-Christian friend of mine was still living in a more Christian way than he was. He wasn't drinking. He wasn't out partying. He didn't swear at people. He didn't do any of the things that, you know, we expect non-Christian people to do in their teenage years, to go out and partying and, and, and doing all these other things that we think are a bit crazy sometimes. The way we act as Christians matters. And uh, people watch us very closely as Christians, we're ambassadors for Christ. And so we ought to behave in a way that pleases God. In 1 Peter 2.12 it says, Live such good lives amongst the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We need to be making sure that our actions are clearly reflecting that of what Christ would want in our lives. Thirdly, he says in love. Now in the passage, Paul isn't talking about the love between a husband and a wife, nor is he suggesting Timothy get married. The love Paul wants Timothy to show is an attitude of care and devotion for his brothers and sisters in Christ, a love that seeks out the interests of others. I'm going to ask you another question. If someone asks you, how are you? What are the general responses you would give? If I was to ask Ridden, how are you, Ridden? Yeah, okay? Yeah? Joe, if I'm going to ask you, how are you? Good bro, yeah. Joe's okay. Peter, how are you? All right, yeah. You see, we're getting some pretty, pretty generic responses, aren't we? We're getting things like, all right, good, pretty good, can't complain. If you're one of those weird people, you tell them how you are not, and you go, not bad. But uh, in the case of the question, how are you? We so often only to seem to give out a surface level answer or ask the question out of politeness with really no intent to go any further. And the same is, happens in our day-to-day -day lives as Christians. When we love, show love to another, it's not really going all that deep at all. You see, we need to show a genuine love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be deeply concerned for their physical, emotional and most importantly spiritual well-being. We ought to be actively involved in the lives of the people around us. Galatians 6.2 puts it this way, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfil the law 
of Christ. All the words of Jesus himself in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this may all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We're called to bear each other's burdens in the same way Christ did for us. Now, if you have troubles with that, I'd encourage you uh, to go be praying with your fellow Christians, meeting up with them on a regular basis, being honest in your struggles. How can we care for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ if we continually hide behind a mask of pretty good, acting if nothing is going wrong? Fourthly, Paul mentions in faith. Now, we heard last week from Jason about God's faithfulness to us. Through his grace given to us in Jesus Christ, we are presented blameless before God. We're told that God doesn't give up on us. If we have put our hope in the true and living God and trust his promises, then we should entrust him with everything. How can we truly live in faith, a calling that commands us to give our very lives to God, if we are holding things back from him, thinking, God can't deal with it. God can't deal with my money problems. He can't deal with my relationship problems. He can't deal with my study problems. We need to give it all to God. And Philippians 4 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. God wants us to tell him everything. He wants to be actively involved in our lives. Just as he is faithful to us, we in turn need to be faithful to him. So the question is, what are you afraid of giving over to God? And the last example Paul gives is impurity. We need to flee from sexual sin. We heard a couple of weeks ago from David Brake uh, when he spoke about this in regards to Christian living, that sexual sin is the only sin one commits against their own body, which is God's temple. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesians again, in Ephesians 5.3, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. As ambassadors for Christ, we need to show self-control. And it's a hard thing to do. We live in a society flooded with over-sexualized material. We see it in advertising, in movies, in music, in video games, in sports even, in magazines. And it's even pasted all across the internet. But we need to understand that in this one especially, we're not struggling alone. We need not struggle alone with our own sexual sin. A lot of people find that they find an accountability partner. And I'd encourage you to find someone who you can be honest with, who is willing to help you hold yourself accountable. We need to remember that in any sin, we aren't the only ones suffering. And in this particular area, we need not suffer alone. So number two, as our hope is secure in Christ Jesus, we need to practice godly behaviour. And therefore, third and finally, we need to persevere in our faith. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect the gift which was given through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Paul commands Timothy, due to his position in the church as a minister, and that the gift he has received through the Holy Spirit, that he continues to study the scriptures and continue to proclaim the gospel of Christ. 
How can someone in a a minister's position go on teaching if they themselves are not learning and devoted to the word of God on a daily basis? Now, of course, in our case, not all of us are pastors of a church. Not all of us are heads of a Bible study or a youth ministry. But we all need to be learning daily from God's word. How can we ourselves give an answer for the hope we have if we're ignorant towards the very words God has given us? Now, in verse 14, it does talk about the laying of hands and receiving of gifts. And tonight, I'm not going to touch on that in too much detail. But to simply say that in church, we usually practice this in a more symbolic way today when we commission people into ministry, and they did back then as well. We see many instances of this in Acts. In one particular, uh, when Paul and Barnabas were commissioned in Acts 13, it says, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, uh, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, it's not definitely saying, not saying, that... uh, If we go around laying our hands on each other, we're all going to receive different gifts. That's not the case. But this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Saviour. For Timothy, this was the gift of teaching. For others, it may be praying, it may be counselling, maybe it's youth ministry, maybe it's serving the tea and coffee at church. But whatever our gift is, we are called as Christians not to waste it. It's a blessing from God to do his good works. And finally, in verse 16, Paul finishes with these instructions. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Friends, if our hope is firmly set in the salvation found in Christ Jesus, we should glorify God by practicing godly behaviours, day in and day out, persevering in them, because if you do, Not only will your faith in Christ be strengthened, but those hope who isn't in Jesus will see him through you and be saved. Matthew 5.16 puts it this way. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So a question for all of us. Are you living as a Christian with integrity? Is your hope secure in Christ Jesus? Are you glorifying God through your everyday actions? And are you persevering in faith so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are mighty to save and that our hope is secure in your Son, Jesus. We pray that we would seek to glorify you in all that we do so that we will not only save ourselves but others around us. Help us to be living in your word daily and sharing with our brothers and sisters in Christ our struggles. Help us to be open and honest with one another so that we may build each other up in faith and encouragement. We pray this in your name. Amen.